I felt like my life was completely over. I'd ruined everything. It was worthless. There was like no way to recover. And yeah, I just didn't want to exist anymore. It was so painful. Anyway, sorry, this is so fucking red. Fuck, this is so hard. I have so much respect for everyone who comes on this podcast. So you had three brothers growing up, and were you all born in Melbourne or? Mm -hmm. And so. And then we moved to London at some point when I was like 12 for a few years. Yeah. Okay. And so what was that like growing up with three brothers? Um, yeah, well, so two older brothers and then me and then six years younger than me, my younger brother. Um, yeah, I used to tell, yeah, there were so many stories of me when it was just me and the two older boys and like the, they would do kind of horrible things to me but it's kind of like funny to think about like they would like actually one time they destroyed my tea set which was really mean (laughs) um but they would like cut my barbie's heads off and like they would like throw food on the floor and make me like be a dog and eat it oh my god (laughs) and the worst thing was in the car i would have to sit in the middle um and the yeah they would do this thing where they would grab my legs from either side and like pull them apart oh which was so painful and mean and then i'd get in trouble for screaming one time they hunt they got a chain there was this chain like a plastic chain but they like tied it around my neck and t- and hung me oh from the God. bunk <laughs> and my nana came and rescued me but it was kind of like all fun and games um and I think now I like, that's how I know, like if someone's teasing me, then I know they, it's like a sign of affection kind mm. of thing. Like I'm very used to, I think that's probably maybe why I then just gravitate to, co- you know, like working in finance or whatever places where there are a lot of men around. Cause I just understand that language more of like being mean to people <laughs> like joking around in a seemingly like quite aggressive way um yeah and you rem- remember when your youngest brother was born or mm-hmm. was it hard or um mm, no I don't think so um I have four younger siblings and I remember it being hard at times just feeling like you were losing attention or something like that. I don't know whether you had that feeling or No. So my thing losing attention was with my brother getting diabetes. Oh yes. Mm. Which that's all the stuff that comes up in um yeah, therapy and everything. Mm. And how old was he and how old were you at that point? Um, Which brother was this in the order? (laughs) The one just older than me. So he was six and I was four. Right. Um, Yeah. And yeah, that's... He ended up getting a lot more attention because type 1 diabetes is quite... It requires a lot... 
of attention, right? Yeah. So you I'm diabetic. You so yeah, I know. One diabetes. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I guess what happened is, um, my yeah. So you have a child who gets a life-threatening illness so obviously it's like very scary for the parents and I think my mom is particularly very is yeah an anxious person and I mean that's already like well yeah obviously I don't know and we did talk you've been on this podcast as well so we talked about that a bit Mm. with you um But basically from that point, because a four-year-old doesn't understand, like, something like that. So I just internalized there's something wrong with me. I'm, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to talk about. It's like, yeah, this is where the wound is because it's like, fuck, I just feel like I'm going to start crying even saying these things. But it's like, um, yeah, it's like there's something wrong with me. I'm not good enough. I don't deserve love or I'm – it was I'm bad, which I've kind of been able to work through a lot of that. I was like, I'm a bad person. Like, there's – because your brain has to make sense of it, right? A four-year-old. And no one, you know, everyone's parents fuck them up. Like, we all will go on and fuck up our own children. Like, no one's... And even if you... Yeah, there's no such thing as doing anything, everything perfectly. Like, you can't. Like, there's so many factors going on and things going on. Mm. But this is just what the story was for me. It was... um, And it's weird. I found this out through reading normal people so random in the pandemic the sally rooney novel yeah Mm. so it was maybe like maybe like nine months or something after i'd become depressed and got the like um whatever clinical diagnosis and whatever that was during the lockdown or no that was like the year before and then i'd gone on this yeah I was actually in, like, quite a good place, so able to access kind of deeper stuff. And, yet yeah, reading that novel, the, it was just, like, I was having this visceral reaction. Like, it was so weird. Like, a lot of people found that novel, like, deeply moving and whatever. But it was, like, I couldn't stop crying. Reading. Mm. It was weird, the impact it was having on me. And then it got to this point where she... Yeah, it's just this horrible, like, I don't know if anyone who's familiar with it. Have you read it? Yes. Yeah, okay, so the bit when she's saying how mean her brother is to her and how he was like, you should go and kill yourself or something. And then he's like, oh, my God, and what did your mom do? And she was like, my mom was just there watching. And she... It's, like, this idea that it's just, like, her family. And for her, that was the case. Like, her family, like, awful to her. And, like, she really didn't feel loved by them, which is, like, also there's evidence to, like, whatever. 
my case is not like that. Like my family, even saying those stories about my brothers, like my family does love me. <laughs> but in my brain, I was like, that I feel the exact same. So I had this like, I was just like distraught, like could not stop crying. And it was like, that was the wound. It was like, oh my God, I feel like I'm, yeah, not loved. Like I don't belong. Like I'm not wanted, like all these kind of things. And, and yeah, I am super fortunate that I do have, yeah, good relationships with my family, like, and I do have parents and what, and I, yeah, so I called my mum in that moment. Because, yeah, I am just fully aware that some people literally, their parents do, do, like, abuse them or something, and that is not my situation anyway. So, as you can tell by me being able to call my mum. And she... Yeah, it was just like heart. Yeah, because I was like trying to express, and she was like, "You know how much we love you and whatever." But I was like, "But did you love me then?" Which is like so sad for my inner child. Like for anyone who does this <laughs> therapy, which sadly so many of us have to do and come across these concepts but it is just yeah like this little girl who is like feels like um she wasn't loved or something wrong with her um i can relate to that yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah that must have been really hard yeah and she was like yeah of course um she was like oh my god of course like of course and like sent me all these photos of me as a child and everything um but she said she was like yeah I think something happened because I there were always stories about like oh dear you're always having tantrums you're always like running away you were always whatever and I was like why and that I think fed into me being like I'm a bad person like Mm. I there's something I'm like the evil child but then to realize like children aren't evil like a four-year-old's not evil um and so yeah so I was like why was what but why was I doing that and what was going on and she was like well I guess maybe there was a change like after your brother got diabetes because the boys were like always so happy like playing together and you were like the center of attention and the girl and like everything and then overnight like things changed and then your behavior changed and so that changed obviously it required a lot more attention on him, but did it also prevent him from playing with your other brother or it disrupted things in other ways or? Um, well, I think he was, yeah, it would have, I'm sure it would have, I mean, I guess as a child, you're kind of just have a very narrow lens of the world. So I think, Um, yeah, obviously he, I mean, it was really hard. I mean, I don't need to say to you, you know what it's like. It's like you have to have injections multiple times a day, finger pricks, everything changes. Like the food you eat changes. Like suddenly you're this different person at the party, at the kid's party or whatever, and you can't have these things. Um, and then, 
Yeah, you... probably if one person's really sad because they're sick, then the other people. Yeah, I mean, my oldest brother has um, passed away now, so I guess I could, well, yeah, never be able to ask him what that was like for him. Um, to have his like little best friend brother suddenly unwell. Um, yeah, but I think, yeah, for me, it was just like, I'm now always in trouble. And it was really like, I felt like it was unfair, like, (laughs) thankfully I've done the therapy to like, know that it's normal for a child, but I would still my brother's lollies because I just did I was like this is just unfair why does he get this special food because mm. overnight I don't know if this happened for you but they changed like all the food in the house so instead of like which yeah so it's like none of us can have this food that has more sugar or whatever in it but I didn't understand it's like okay all the other kids at school get to eat this why don't I but then on top of that he also has this special food and it sounds so fun. Anyone listening must be like, what? You know, I'm not the one suffering with the thing. But the point is, it's just like a four year old doesn't, it's a fucking child. Like they don't understand these you things. You lost a lot of attention and care very suddenly. Like it totally shifted the dynamics of the house and the, it's made everything seem unpredictable and. Yeah, and like, yeah, because I would then want attention and then I'm, like, causing trouble um, because it's, like, the stressful stuff going on and I'm making it worse. So you feel like you were acting out, like, probably to get attention or is that what your mom was saying or? Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah, and I think this is kind of, I mean, I think people are so aware of it, right, when you have another child, yeah, you're the oldest child, and then when new children, it's like, oh, the oldest child's going to get jealous, or mm-hmm. even, like, with the dog, it's like, okay, the dog, now there's a baby, like, make sure you look after the dog, like, the dog. but I think with an illness that's overlooked, um, and I, yeah, I felt, there's this book that journey from abandonment to healing I think and there's been yeah a few resources where they're specifically mentioned like this feeling of abandonment can it doesn't have to be you know it's so painful to say these things because no one wants to think like oh my parents were like really doing their best and it's no one's fault and everything and it's not like yeah you're deliberately hurt or abused or neglected or like left on a doorstep somewhere but yeah, these things are saying, like, examples are, like, you know, a parent had to have an extended time in hospital or something. Or a sibling gets an illness. Like, it's literally, you know, so many different, so many situations that are totally unintentional. And that one is pointed out. And, yeah. Anyway. It's <laughs> it's actually so great having this conversation with mm. you because you have this illness but then um yeah so it's just yeah it's super complicated Mm. yeah for us 
I was the oldest and I was diagnosed at under two years old. And so I don't think it had that same, I'm sure it had huge impacts on my siblings. It certainly had an impact on my childhood, but I don't think there was the same disruption because it was right as my next brother was being born that I was diagnosed. And so I don't think we kind of all remember my own weirdness as a type of diabetic as like the kind of normal thing. You know what I mean? So there wasn't such a, a shift maybe. Yeah. So that was a big change. And like, how did it play out over the following years? Like did. Well, I, so I didn't even find, so I found, I realized that two years ago or whatever. I read normal people and found that out. And then it was, yeah, it's crazy that I was seeing a psychiatrist at that time because I was depressed and she which I still find to be such a saying, like, psychiatrist. It's like, oh, my God, everyone's going to think I'm, like, totally fucking crazy. Anyway, yep, <laughs> that's what happens if you get severely unwell. Um, I mean, I've seen a psychiatrist. It doesn't strike <laughs> me as, <laughs> at all. But you know what I mean? It's like now it's like therapy is, like, you can talk about that. There's, like, less shame around that. But I feel like there's still some... You know, mental illness has become, like, almost, like, trendy or, like... But there are some parts of it where it's still, like, oh, don't talk about that. That Mm. has shame around it anyway. And I feel like... But thanks. So, in other words, you're saying, like, you didn't have this narrative about the diabetes until fairly recently. No, until recently, yeah. And And the psychiatrist, when I told this story, like, I couldn't believe it. She's, like, this super mainstream, like, you know, Harley Street, whatever, doctor... And she was like, oh, yeah, have you heard of this thing, reparenting? Oh, she's like, yeah, there's this thing called reparenting. I was like, what? I could not believe she was talking. Because I'd come to her to talk about alternative things like psychedelics or, like, kinesiology or, you know, some, like. And she's like, mm, like, questionable to all that stuff. But on this, she's like, reparenting. Like, she's like, yeah, there's this, like, inner child and you have to. I was like, could not believe this mainstream doctor was saying this and then referred me to then psychology to specifically deal with this. And then, yeah, so now so many things make sense. And now I'm doing internal family systems, which I absolutely love and could talk about for hours. Um, But from that point now, I can look back on my life having done, and now like, yeah, three years, I guess, of reading about it, like, so, like, whatever, different, seeing different therapists, like, going to lectures, whatever, I can see all these patterns play out that affected me um, in all these different ways. Yeah, so basically, which is so common amongst so many people who feel like they're not good enough, they're not worthy, like, they need to prove themselves. So it's, like, proving, it's, like, um, the academic stuff. Okay, how do I get approval or get attention or something if I'm, like, doing well um yeah and then in later in relationships um in like romantic relationships seeing that all play out but I guess from yeah as a child I don't know you just kind of get yeah you just get on with it and there was nothing apart from like yeah me generally feeling like oh I don't really belong in 
my family, which yeah, is then probably also why I left and moved overseas and I haven't lived in Melbourne really for the last, like since I finished uni. Um, I guess, yeah, it was just like a more subconscious thing. And then I had a not, then I, but yeah, I was, I didn't have any like major issues until I became depressed. Right. Like three years ago, I would have just had like a happy, happy great, childhood. Yeah, did well at school, like had friends, like normal teenage stuff, like going out, having a good time, whatever. And that was in London, or yeah. So La- London. Oh well, that's another. Yeah. So London. Quite yeah. So we well, moved to right? London, and then we went to boarding school. Because I guess we're used to, like, having so much space in Australia and, like, the schools in London weren't really... Yeah, the best fit was to go to schools outside London. So we did that. And then, yeah, I struggled with that. Um, with boarding school or...? Yeah, with, like, homesickness. Like, I think I, like, went on hunger strike to be, like take me back to Australia. But I think that's just normal. Like a 11 year old or 12 year old, like taken out of my, yeah, that was a big adjustment. Like I was in primary school in Australia, which is like basic, like, you know, you're doing spelling or whatever to then I was for some reason, end up going into like the second year of secondary school in, in the English system, so it was like suddenly I was doing Latin, Spanish, French, chemistry, physics, like as separate subjects. Like I'd never heard those words before. It was like a big adjustment. Wow. Um, but I mean, that's just stuff that I think that kind of just makes you more resilient and whatever. I got over it eventually and like had a great time. But there's a period, transition period that sounds like it was quite difficult. Yeah, like I was crying every single day. Right. Like every day, nonstop in class. This girl would say to me, one of my friends back then would say to me, tomorrow's another day. It was like I just had to get through. Just get through <laughs> one day at a time. Yeah. Wow. And so how long were you in London for or in the UK? Three years. Okay. So you're here from 12 to 15 or 11 to 14? Yeah. And then moved back to Australia again? Yeah. That, again, must have been quite difficult, right? <laughs> or was it okay? Uh, I think it was okay. Right. It was starting... I think we, like, knew we were going to go back. Um, I think it was more like a big, yeah, adjustment for my dad, probably, which I don't think I appreciate it at the time because yeah I think my mum wanted to be I think it was probably pretty hard for her and she wanted to be back in Australia my oldest brother had already gone back and then to like finish school and then mum was like yeah we're going like I kind of knew for a while and then I would have been starting GCSEs here but I wasn't going to do that so then I was just like already checked out like ready to go back um, but my dad stayed like a year longer and yeah, I think it was probably, yeah, hardest for him, which I didn't realize until 
recently, which is like, it just, it's so funny with families, you think, and so many people have it, like, because you're in the family and you're like, my experience is every, like, you think you know everything about everything that's going on. But unless you take time to say, to ask, like, what was that like for you? Yeah, like, I remember someone saying, talking about their sibling, talking, saying, like, they'd had a hard childhood, and they're like, yeah, I mean, we had the same childhood, so no, you didn't. And it's like, yeah, but you don't know what someone else's experience is like. And as well with parents, like, it takes you a long time to realise, like, parents are humans Mm. as well, who have their own experiences. And so, was the move hard for your brothers? Um, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I should ask them. You weren't very close to them in your teenage years, or? My oldest brother, there was, um, so he, he's the one who passed away, who I talk about in the first episode of this podcast, of, like, making something that could have helped him, um, he, and I said this in the eulogy, I talk about this, that he, yeah, like the teasing, everything growing up, like there was something in, we went on holidays to Rome and he sang this song, Benedict is a Pope and Delia is a Dope. And it was like this, he was just kind of teasing me throughout. But then and then at some point it was like mean. He was like quite mean to me. Um, which I think is maybe thing in out family and maybe I used to be like that as well like argumentative and like wanting to be right and like cool you know catching someone out and like calling them an idiot like pointing out how flawed their argument is or whatever and then like yeah but then at some point it turned around and we became really close and he wrote me this letter like saying how sorry he was for like being a dick to me which was so nice because I think a lot of siblings you just take for granted that you can just be awful to each other and then whatever but he actually like as a teenager wrote me this letter and then we became really close and would yeah he was like such a cool older brother like he would this would have been back after England but yeah he would like drive me you know bring me Maccas to school like do yeah like drive me to whatever like we'd hang out we and we would run we'd run together and we were going to yeah run that was actually yeah really horrible on the day he died we were training for going to do a half marathon together and I went for a run for that and asked him to come and he didn't but Yeah, we did so, like, we walked to, I mean, you're not going to know where this is, but we have, my parents have a place in Point Road Night on the Great Ocean Road. We walked from there to Lawn, which is, like, a nine-hour walk on the beach. Wow. Just, like, we did just, like, random crazy stuff together. Yeah, this really special, I think with boys, like, he helped me with that stuff. Like, if someone was being a... You know, a guy was being a dick to me or something who I liked. Like he, yeah, this like special relationship that you often 
I think can be hard between like there's different dynamics because you can be like yeah my other brother was more like protective of me or you know wouldn't have wanted to know about me talking to boys or whatever or help in that kind of way um but yeah I guess with my other brother it was we were super close growing up really really close and then um kind of drifted apart as we were teenagers and so what was applying to unis like was it um i i guess i was just like how can i at school it was like how can i get the best possible mark like and i was just very focused on that like yeah i guess i think i just realized it's a game so it's like how do you if the way it works in australia it's a percentile and i it was i was like on the it was called an enter score i was like on the enter calculator like Mm -hmm. calculating like how can i like maximize my score by yeah whatever so i just did subjects that would help me maximize it which were like maths and science subjects and then I didn't really know what to do um and my parents didn't really tell me anything like didn't influence try and influence me in any way and I just ended up there weren't expectations about where you would go or what you would study or anything like that no Mm. so which some expectations could have helped because (laughs) it was like so I just kind of ended up continuing, like, okay, I guess I'm good at maths and good at chemistry and whatever, and I like that. So I'll just continue doing that. I The one thing they did help with was I wanted to um, go and do a gap year and go to Senegal for some reason. I'd like to, <laughs> I was like, I'm going to – I think I was like wanted to go to a French-speaking place in Africa. Right. And I don't – Yeah. But they were like, why don't you go to college, which is, like, where you live. It's kind of copied from, like, the Oxford-Cambridge system at Melbourne Uni. They have it. Um, and they were, like, introduced me to someone who did that because, I guess, yeah, they were trying to deter me from doing that, which ended up working. So then I moved out and went and to college, which isn't the most sta- – like, a lot of people – I mean, there's Melbourne has – five million people there are like you know the top universities there and like the third best in the country whatever it's like you kind of just live at home and go so that was something different that I then when I lived on campus and because not many people live on campus or not many people who are from Melbourne yeah not many people in general and it's not like the US or here where you move away. It's like most of my friends just stayed living at home. And you kind of, it's just like a cultural thing that you you just like stay at home. You work, like pe- the minimum wage is really high. People just, people are more kind of into traveling and like doing these kinds of things. So you wanted to go to Senegal, but they pers- <laughs> they successfully dissuaded you. Is that right? Yeah, I guess so. And you stayed in Melbourne? I stayed in Melbourne, went to college. That was amazing. It was, it was, 
my brother died the week before I went to uni and it was so it was yeah I then was in this totally different world because suddenly one week later I was then at college living full-time on campus with all these people who I'd never met before like starting a whole new thing so I guess it was like a whole different life which meant that I didn't have to maybe um go through the grieving yeah or maybe didn't properly grieve because it was like yeah it was weird time such a complete switch of everything else in your life that you didn't sort of have to live with it in the same context Mm -hmm. my god we've already been gone for 50 minutes (laughs) i'm like okay then I moved to New York, then I moved here, then I started this podcast. And How did you yet. decide to move to New York? I went on exchange. I went to Cornell, upstate New York. I loved it. I was in my fourth year. Um, I absolutely loved it so much. And, um, oh, my God, that campus is so beautiful. Just, like, it's freezing cold there which I love the freezing cold Mm. and it's just like covered in snow for like eight months or something um and I just wanted that experience to continue I guess and then everyone there is so ambitious it's just totally different so people are I mean yeah you went to Princeton you know what it's like it's I guess in Australia it's more, I mean, I was doing maths, like there wasn't, it's, I don't know, it's more vocational in Australia. I think I was doing, yeah, I'd been done an internship on like a chemical plant and I don't know, There was, New York just seemed like all these people are going to work on Wall Street and they're so ambitious and it's like, cool, you studied, you're studying engineering, that means you're smart, you can get any job and you can, like, I was just so excited by that. Um, so you're and, doing chemistry in Melbourne and maths in at Cornell, is that right? No, I was doing my major was like chemical engineering. Okay, yeah, yeah, because I was doing maths and chemistry, and people were like, if you combine it, that's chemical engineering, right. which turns out it's not really. But yeah, I ended up doing chemical engineering and like a and maths as well. But. Yeah, so my idea was then I had to do a master's to finish that because whatever, that's what the model was. So I thought I'll just go to New York for a gap year. Like I had an American boyfriend and I was so excited. Like I just wanted to continue the experience. I was super naive. I had no idea that you can't just move countries. Like I was, yeah, minimum wage in Australia is really high as a waitress, whatever. So I just thought I'll continue. I'll be a waitress in New York and like just... (laughs) And I was like, no, that's not how it works. And also, yeah, quote my... But yeah, I came back like, I'm moving to New York. And people were like, you can't just do that. And that made me more determined. And yeah, quote my dad, have fun sweeping the streets of New York. Like, how? Like, But I ended up figuring it out and being like... I mean, that was cool. People were like, you don't have... You have a degree. Like, you can get it. You're employable. I was like, what? Really? Like... 
So you say you figured it out. You mean you decided to do a master's? Mm. No. No. So then I was like, okay, I'll move. And then I just ended up neglecting that plan. Because, yeah, the the being on a chemical, like, that wasn't that appealing to me. I like solving problems and that's why I liked engineering. But then actually being on a chemical plant and, like, wearing men's clothes because I didn't make them for women and just, like, that wasn't really my thing. So then the idea that, oh, you can yeah solve problems and do analytical things but work in like a office in new york that was really cool i just never didn't know that was a thing you could do so just using the chemical engineering degree to go directly into work because in the states you can kind of study whatever you want and then go do whatever job you want right and exactly what you're saying is that the educational system and the like career system in the in australia is not really like that is that right or no it's more vocational so if you work in yeah if you work in like finance you would have studied commerce degree Mm. and maybe that's hopefully that's changing but yeah that's um and yeah there's a joke like if you do arts it's like you can't get a job but like (laughs) that's not how it yeah for you it's like okay yeah you went to Princeton, like, obviously you can get a job. It doesn't matter that you studied literature. Like, it's like, that's, you know. It matters a little bit, yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah. But, I, yeah, I was really naive and I went in, but I didn't understand that they wouldn't know what Melbourne Uni was or that, I mean, it's so or funny. Where Australia in one of, was. Yeah, where Australia, it's so funny in one of my interviews, they would just, because, yeah, then I started meeting people and I'm very fortunate to be introduced to, um, well, my content, contacts, were, contacts were basically in finance. So very fortunate to get introductions to lots of investment banks. But I was so naive. I always tell this story that I was meeting this guy called D- David Lynch at Merrill Lynch. And I'd never heard of Merrill Lynch. And I was like, to my dad, I'm dad. I'm meeting the founder of this place called Merrill Lynch. <laughs> he was just like, "You're such an idiot." I'd never like Goldman. Never heard of it. Like none of it. Like so, I was meeting all these people. But yeah, I was so naive. I didn't know. So I was like, "Oh, cool. Like, yeah, can I get a job here?" And they're like, "Who are you? Like, what? You know?" Because it's like all the internships, all this stuff that I I just turned up. I'd graduated. They were like, how have you graduated? You don't have a job. What's wrong with you? I was like, what? Were you meant to think about this beforehand? And were you just on a visa there or? I was just like, uh, as a tourist. Okay, you were there as a tourist trying to get a job. (laughs) But I just didn't. Yeah, no, sorry. It was so funny. Uh, One interview, she was like, wait, why? You've just graduated. I'm like, yep. She's like, why? I'm like, oh, well, in Australia, we graduating because it's like over winter that like in December or January I was like well yeah I, we finished the year in November it's like the calendar year she was like what I'm like yeah because this it's the southern hemisphere like the seasons are different she was like what the seasons are different in the southern hemisphere like they were just like so confused and yeah and I was going to places where they were like oh we only hire from half of the Ivy Leagues and like the Ivy League you went on exchange to isn't even in the half of the Ivy Leagues that we hire from and like let alone like a university in another country so yeah there were hurdles but I I was just like I'm staying 
like, I want to be with my American boyfriend and like, whatever. I'm so, going to figure but out. How did you do that? Did you get a green card or did you? How did I you... got a job. There's a visa, a rank, there's a visa thing with Australia where it came out of a free trade agreement or because there's an army base or something. So there's a visa class that Australians can apply for if you have a degree and you get a job. Okay. So, so I found out about that and. And you got a job. And I got a job. Where was that? At EY. Um, yeah. Banking. Yeah, it was really like you had to do that. In- I also, I, was, I just didn't understand. Like I was asking, I'm like, what do I do in these job interviews? Like I just thought that I just asked for a job. I didn't understand that these are like super sought after jobs and uh, that are highly competitive. And I also didn't realize it was like my, well, yeah, one of my good friends, her uncle is the CEO of Morgan Stanley and he asked like so I had like good contacts but they didn't work like he asked HR whatever to talk to me about a job and they're like no it's like oh there's so much red tape around that now in banking so it was like um yeah which people are probably listening and like yeah good riddance you can't just (laughs) get a job based on contacts but how did you manage that or well eventually someone was like we'll Oh, they'd only ever hired MBAs, but they needed more people. So they were like, okay, we'll hire you. you." And then I was in, yeah, and then that was in consulting. And so the first, yeah, so I was traveling around, living out of hotels, like, which I didn't like. I wanted to be in New York, like, living in a hotel. I mean, people think that's super glamorous, flying on planes, living in hotels. It's like. I don't know why you'd want to do that in your whole life. It's like you're obsessed with hotel points. That's pretty miserable to me. And um, that you were traveling for work. Yeah. Like for work. What kind of work was it? Or um, transaction advisory. So like two companies have merged and then you're or a company, you know, like I worked on GE Capital, they sold that whole general electric used to have like a whole financial thing that they were then selling and it's like helping them with that stuff but yeah I was just like I didn't fucking know anything I was just this like 22 year old or something but yeah then I wanted to be I wanted to be in New York and then I realized I want to move to investment banking because I was straight away like wow everyone here is obsessed with finance and like banks are the place to be and I've got to be there to prove because yeah I think I got so involved in that U.S. culture of like um yeah that competitive thing and like which would go back to that like core wound of needing to prove myself or whatever so I was like I want to do investment banking so I'm like the cool having previously like not even known what it was which I'm yeah my dad that's what he's done his whole life but genuinely like I didn't know what he did um until I was in New York and then that seemed to be like the coolest thing in the world and I was like wow okay I need to do that so then I moved into a role in EY that would, there was valuations, like more finance that would then, with the plan to move into investment banking. But I knew that would be in London. Right. Because I guess I knew at that point I wasn't going to stay there forever. And yeah, I went to move to London and then moved on and did investment banking, got depressed, life fell apart. And here we are now. <laughs> So you were three years in New York for how long? 
yeah, like the exchange, went home, had a semester to finish, graduated, and then I think came back for about three years, yeah. Right. And then you, how did you decide you wanted to move to London? Did you feel like it was moving back to London or did you feel like it was... Yeah, I think I knew I didn't want to go home, but I wanted to move somewhere more similar values to um, Australia, which was like London and more. Yeah, because New York, I mean, it was just like, it's just like a different planet for me. The US. Was it too different or? Yeah, it was just the value. I was so, I was young, like all I lived with, my boyfriend lived with like, like fuck. First it was like four of his frat bros, then they got the apartment next door. It was like ten of them, like on this floor, <laughs> and then I lived with like the sorority sisters of, <laughs> and then it was like crazy. It was so much fun, but it was crazy. It was like what you see. I mean, you're literally from there, but for people who aren't from there, it's like you see this in movies. Like, that is real life. Like, just the, like, playing beer pong, like, ordering kegs, like, having these parties. Just, like, crazy stuff. Like, I remember going to this party, um, our neighbours, these people were just like, hey, shouted to us, like, come to, come across to our party. Like, we went in there. There was just, like, lobster everywhere, like, um, Verve. And that guy, Martin Screlly, was there? Who went to prison for... <laughs> that hedge fund guy oh my god like such weird stuff like that <laughs> it's just you know you go clubbing on a monday night like justin bieber's there whatever crazy you know at work it was crazy like people doing coke at their desks whatever mm. like um yeah so it was this kind of very unsustainable like intense life that's not really normal and then for me it was mainly the values thing like I was still figuring out who I was obviously but there were just things that didn't seem right to me and I just got annoyed like I got so sick of being spoken to like oh welcome you know so you must be so grateful to have made it to the land of opportunity and stuff and I was like what the like what like that as opposed to london where everyone's like why are you here (laughs) yeah or just i'm just like i'm from a great place where we don't have like people aren't being shot all the time you know stuff or like there aren't holes in the road totally i just meant that in new york people are like new york's amazing whereas in london everyone's like london's crap yeah 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 people like why did you leave a sunny place or whatever yeah but yeah, that got bore. That got boring. Like being made fun of how I spoke. Like after three, you know, it's like this is just boring. Yeah, <laughs> and Agreed, yeah. and the values thing of yeah. Like I remember the first Christmas, I was going home for a week, and people were like, "Wow, you're going to take a week off?" Like I guess someone's not getting right, promoted. The work like that life stuff, which yeah. is just insane. Yeah, they just weren't my values. So. so you didn't want to return to Melbourne. And had you been back to London since you had left as a teenager? or uh, Like on holidays, okay. probably, yeah. So you had some connection to it still? Or did you well, not feel more like just that? a connection of like a lot of Australians move here. Right. 
like you have that visa to come and people it's kind of like a rite of passage thing like people come like I think my brother was living here at that time like yeah people move here people are always coming through here to go to Europe like it just felt feels more yeah way more connected yeah Whereas for Americans, it's like a very, like, they don't think about it, basically. (laughs) No. Oh, my God. Yeah, when I, when we were, because I moved with the American boyfriend I had, and it was like, yeah, the, (laughs) for, for an American to leave New York, it's like, wow, you're just destroying your career to move. (laughs) Yeah. And so how was that move? Did you? Uh, well, Did you I go straight into. Well, I quit and yes. went traveling in South America for a bit, and then around the U.S., which oh my god, was like the coolest, one of the coolest things I've ever done. We drove through like fifteen national parks or something from Colorado, like through Wyoming, Montana, up to Canada, um, Washington, Oregon, through yeah, California, where you're from amazing i ran the new york marathon in the last my last day in new york um that's yeah, amazing when went traveling which yeah classic the reactions from people when i left of like wow like couldn't believe like quitting without a job and then also um traveling people like oh i guess some people are so lucky and i'm like i earn the same pay is I we earn the same salary like I'm going to South America it's like staying in hostels like you can also do that but I mean that's the yeah that's just the differences right, right? Yeah. yeah and because yeah you don't have a your parents sacrifice so much so you can go to college and you don't have the safety net the same safety net so it is yeah but yeah anyway so yeah, and then I came to London and people were like, oh, you should transfer. And I was like, no, I want to do banking. I'm going to get a job. And people were like, oh, it's so hard. You shouldn't just like move countries without a job. People like, in New York or people in London? Just all, just lots everywhere. of people. So people were giving you lots of advice to kind <laughs> I mean, of stay in the same industry. People in New York were like, yeah, why would you move? It's so, f- oh my God, so funny. My, one of my, yeah, a manager was like super it was so interesting because i was there when trump was elected and like in the campaign lead and he was like this big trump guy and um carried all these weapons around with him um in his car and he he i remember coming to london i think for a holiday and he was like whoa it's so dangerous there like watch out. <laughs> <laughs> um and you're like yeah. you carry guns around <laughs> Um, yeah, so, no, I think it was people here, yeah, I don't know, people, I don't know, I guess this is a pattern that I just kind of say I'm going to do something and then I just don't necessarily think it through. No, I do, I just guess I back myself and take a risk, which is the thing I mean at the moment, having just left a job and now I've got to back myself to get the next thing. But backing up, but, so yeah, you got so, into investment banking. Yeah, in so London. I got the job. Was that how did you manage that? Did you do a lot of interviews? Did you like? because uh, you would have also needed the right to work. Oh, you, you already got the Australian. Yeah, visa I think thing. I already got a visa, but then they sponsored me, so that was fine. 
Um, yeah. Again, yeah, I think I went to, yeah, I made a list of the banks and then I just Walked in. tried to get a job. <laughs> no, I tried to get a job. No, and again, I used the contact thing was like, how can I get an introduction to someone at this place and how can I get in and get the interview? But, um, yeah, and then I got this job. Where was that? Credit Suisse, RIP, no longer exists. Was that in the Gherkin? No. No, Canary Wall. Okay. And did you like it? I loved it to begin with. I was like, I am so cool. Like, I, now I channel that time when I'm, if I'm not feeling like confident, you know how your posture changes or whatever? Jordan Peterson talks about this, but I literally, I remember I was like, stood up so straight. I was like, had so much pride in what I was doing. Like I felt, yeah, this sense of whatever, like I, but yeah, it wasn't healthy. Cause I was like, I'm so cool that I work till 4am and like, I'm just devoting my whole life to this job and this is it. And this is going to be me for the next 10 years. Like this is my life's purpose and what were you doing for them i was in the energy team in m a investment banking so yeah um but yeah it quickly um fell apart how quickly i think the first maybe the first three months or something it was like i was in the office six or seven days a week maybe it was seven days a week I remember there was some period where there was like a day like I was in there every day and yeah it was quite soon like first train so training I loved it it's like all the analysts come from all over the world you're all there for a month like you're meeting all these people you're going out every night like clubbing whatever you're and then in the day you just have tests and you're studying like it's quite vigorous but I was like doing so well like loved it and like yeah but obviously that's not real life that's not the job I'm like oh my god is there a job where I just get to do that no but then when the jobs I think pretty quickly I was put on this deal and yeah I was just not sleeping because I was in the office and I wasn't having a break and my whole life was work because I think yeah I guess I way overcommitted to like that was I was dating someone in the office like um that was like all my social life that was I mean I lived with some yeah good friends from home in Angel so I'm so fortunate I had them for when everything fell apart but I yeah I think I don't know within I think it was by yeah the October or November I had to see a doctor because it was like stuff what there was maybe I remember this period of like eight days or something where I could that I didn't sleep more than two hours a night 
and I remember there was no time to wash my hair. Like I had to just use dry shampoo. I just remember that it was like, when will I have time to have a shower long enough I can wash my hair? Because it was like there was no, there wasn't enough time to sleep more than a couple of hours. So, and, and was then, everyone working like that? It was it was just kind of expected that like that was normal. Um. Yeah, I mean, it's just in this industry and not just that industry, but law and um, what's the other one? Consulting, it can help. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, people are hospitalized. Pe- I mean, people die. Um, I think there's a show about that industry and my friend worked at that like with knows that person who died there's always a story like of how intense it is and then and in the u.s i think there's it's more like drugs involved and stuff whereas europe seemed to be way more conservative on those on that front but it was just like yeah just long hours but i didn't I yeah my body just didn't cope with it and and what month had you started you said you left it in November no November is when I first was like I have to see a doctor okay I started in the summer okay so it was super quick and then um yeah, I remember it was, yeah, it was just like I would feel physically like I would get, and it would be like I was going to throw up, like I'd get an email, like I just couldn't, and anything, like, because we had, we ate like three meals a day in the office, like you'd have to order your, yeah, order your food, you had the, whatever, the money we got for dinner, you had to use on delivery, and it was like, I remember one day my Nando's, <laughs> not that many options in carry off. My fucking Nando's like didn't arrive or whatever they, and it was like I couldn't cope with like small things. It was just like I was just like in, like my resilience was just gone. Mm. Like I was just like I can't do like oh my god my dinner's not here like I can't. It's like things just started yeah falling, but and then I. I wasn't helping it because it's like I then needed a release. So on the weekends I would like go instead of catching up on sleep and like being wholesome. It was like, oh my God, I want to see my friends like go out with them and then like do things I shouldn't do that are just going to make me more sleep deprived and whatever. And then, but yeah, it was just this point where I was like, I was not coping and went, yeah, when I saw a dot which was like the most overwhelming thing to even organize like whatever the the company like emergency doctor or something and then they like immediately referred me to like the occupational doctor which is literally yeah this doctor that just has to see all these bankers and lawyers and people who are like it's burning just, out basically yeah, yeah. and it, he yeah he was just like this is textbook stress like your and explain to me it was like this is how you have a balanced life like you need to have sleep <laughs> like you need to do things that aren't just being in the office all the time but it just was kind of yeah not possible 
to restore balance. And then what happened was I felt like such a failure. Like I felt like my life was over. Like it was just a gradual kind of decline um, until, and I was desperately trying to like find a new job and whatever, like move teams or like move whatever, change the situation. And I, and then the relationship the guy who I was dating who'd become, like, my lifeline because he was, like, my, yeah, major support. He then just, like, broke it off out of nowhere. And I, yeah, from there became depressed. And it was, like, bad like I felt like my life was completely over I'd ruined everything like um I yeah it was worthless there was like no way to recover and I just felt like it was too hard to yeah I just didn't want to exist anymore it was so painful but yeah obviously that's just that was just the trigger for it and what did you do at that point then I had a lot of time off so by the following September yeah I then had was like full time off work so you worked almost another year. Yeah, but it was like holding on for dear life, like on and off. Yeah, oh my God. It was like, yeah, so I was depressed during that time. I couldn't stop crying. Oh. I was crying constantly. So I'd wake up and it was just like, I have to get to work. I'd be putting on like mascara, just tears rolling down my face. Like, okay, it's not fucking working putting makeup on when you're crying. Just on the tube, like, just crying and, like, people just kind of looking, like, ordering the cop, just, like, can't speak. It's, like, crying, sitting at my desk, just bawling my eyes out constantly. And I didn't, yeah, at that point I got therapy, which is the first time I'd ever had therapy in my life. And she, I remember the therapist being, like, yeah, because it was CBT and it was kind of, like, cool, we're going to, like, figure out how, to like help you so it's like you can function and like be able to order coffee and like not be crying at your desk but I was like didn't understand that I'm like why would I not be crying I'm in so much pain <laughs> like <laughs> crying is the normal response <laughs> yeah it was like oh um so yeah that was a long period of like it wasn't like I was functionally working it was like desperately like just clinging on yeah and did and, you have and i was so here? terrified that i would be fired at any like i because it was like or be frozen out or like or something awful would happen but none of that stuff none of that happened so yeah but yeah oh, sorry what were you gonna say did you have time off during that period or yeah there were periods where it's like oh just oh it's just like the resources they have and it's no one's fault it's just like the 
I mean, it clearly like wasn't the most functional organization in general, as everyone's now discovered. But any place can have. It's like no one's fault. It's just like systems like don't necessarily work. So I remember being it was like the mental health. Like, it was, like, I would, I was so overwhelmed, so much to do, and, like, would go to the staff, like, I'm on 10 things, how am I supposed to prioritize this, like, what I, and I'm just, like, feeling so overwhelmed, and, well, yeah, it, that, it would have been at the point where I was, beyond, I was just, like, not coping, so I would just be, like, can't, like, in tears, like, struggling, and it was, like, okay, yeah, you've got these 10 things to do that will take you the next like 36 hours without sleeping if you were to do them. But okay, you're like upset. So why don't you just go and take a walk? (laughs) Just like take some time and then just like come back and do them all. It's like, what the, that makes it worse. (laughs) It does not solve the problem, does it? Yeah. And then I remember the mental, there was like one of the receptionists was like the mental, oh, sorry, the, one of the PAs or whatever was one of the, was like a mental health officer. And I like talked to her and she's like, okay, um, why don't you tonight take a bath? And it's like, I don't think you've heard me that I've been in here till 4am, like every night, like what are you, I'm going to go home at four, like wake up all my housemates by like having a bath. Or like, what the, like, I'm not, this is just not happening. Um, yeah, so just, it's just not set up and oh my God, my poor, I feel, because I was like, someone has to do something, but I, I remember going into like the head of my team, this like senior banker and just sitting in his office and just, I was crying. So I just wanted to say like, it's like something like we need to help this because after I realized like no one's going to fire me or freeze me out or like be mean to me but it's just like the situation still like not result like so I was like went to I was like how can I like I need like how can we resolve this situation but I couldn't I was so upset like I couldn't speak it was that crying where it's just like (gasps) like the ugliest crying of all time because I was trying to assert myself but I was so upset and this poor man who's probably so busy because you know they're extremely busy people as well it's not just like a joke to have people there all hours of the night like everyone's super busy but he just had to like spend like 45 minutes of me just not being able to breathe and him just giving me his handkerchief and just (laughs) and what did he say well he couldn't people don't have this emotional you know when we don't have these skills of like how what do you do and like he you know he's stressed and busy and dealing with all this stuff and like super high pressure job like he's not equipped to and then who is equipped like it's that's what I mean it's just like the system isn't really one of my yeah I was so fortunate to live with one of my best friends and she um who was able to like look out for me 
in that time and she saw on my laptop like the screensaver was like mental health awareness month like we really care right she was like is this a fucking joke like but that's what and that's what I saw at Cambridge as well it's like so much talk about like mental health blah 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 but it's like what I think last year there were like eight or nine suicides at Cambridge like it's just like there's a lot of people don't necessarily have the practical skills or the system isn't set up I don't know it's just it's very complicated but um so how did you leave it or well you said in that September you got you had full time off but you were still technically employed by them or yeah so I I had um sick leave for a period and then I um and then I ended up going to Cambridge, so I just, at some point. How did that quit. decision happen during that period? It must have, you must have been pretty burned out, right? Yeah, and then I was able to, yeah, start. Yeah, so I had time off. I you know, I went tra- I went to Egypt during that time. I went to... I'm like, fuck, should I be talking about this? But then I'm like, oh, wait, this bank literally doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> so hopefully it's fine. No, I mean, whatever. So, I, yeah, I was... Tra- I went traveling. And then... And I was trying to find another job. But I still had that ego thing that was like... I was like, okay, well, now I'm going to do private equity. And I'm going to get a job at... And because I especially... Yeah, because that from banking, that's like the funnel into private equity. And that's like in the US, like in New York, like everyone's obsessed with private equity. Like, how do I buy the yacht in the Hamptons, whatever. Um, and then as well, I think being sort of time when they were like, oh, we need to interview female candidates to, for like quotas and whatever. So I was getting a lot of inbounds. And, and were you doing better mentally during that time or? like ups and downs there was a point so yeah in the july july 2001 i read um like eckhart tolle and 2001 sorry 2021 <laughs> wow this is a very different time scale from <laughs> 2021 and then it was like that that depth you know where it's like oh the cracks are where the light comes in. Who said that? Um, Leonard Cohen, right? Did he? Okay. <laughs> um, what did Rooney say about something <laughs> like that? Maybe I'm anyway, wrong. Maybe it's Rooney. No, no, no. I don't know. Anyway, so was that thing of like, wow, like through such depths. And then I was like, oh my God, this like, I got access to like, I think I read Siddhartha, Herman right. Hesse, like all these things. I was like, whoa, that's like, and that's when I was, yeah, so that was the July. But then it, and then there's like, uh, yeah, it's just like this long recovery period. But, and you're not really functional. Yeah, like I wasn't able to work. Like, wasn't. But you really stopped stop. crying every stopped day. Stopped crying. But then there was another bad period in like the January where I was, yeah, really bad again. And then that 
yeah, I mean, that's a whole nother story with me- my like medication journey or whatever. But that I remember when I was like, hang on a sec, because they were like, oh, we'll just increase the dose. And I was like, hang on, like, I don't want this to. Oh, antidepressants? Or... Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, so then that was bad. And then the pandemic happened and then that was actually good for me mentally because it was like slowing down and like. And then that's when I did the normal people thing and I was like, oh my God, access this stuff. But I was like, I'm in a safe space where I can work through this and I have all the time. And obviously when you're being, yeah, you're being paid and you're, so it's not the stress of like survival. Like I need to go and earn money or like my survival's a threat. It was like, okay, I had the space and time. But yeah, I was interviewing. Yeah, it was that thing like, okay, I will go and get a job at Blackstone or something and then prove, like, look how good I am. Like, cause yeah, I felt like such a failure and I was like, I can prove that I'm not a failure. Um, and I'm actually like the best. And this is in 2021 or no? Yeah. Okay. And going into, and going to 2022. Cause it was like, what am I going to do? Like, I need to do something. And then, yeah. And I was like trying to get, yeah, I was not, yeah, no, and then I just realized, like, I'm, yeah, I wasn't getting anywhere with getting a job. Also, because I was, like, pretending, like, it's even, un- yeah, it's, like, even uncomfortable to say it now because there's so much stigma. People were so, like, oh, my God, no one can ever know that you're having, like, sick leave. Like, oh, my God, this is going to be on your record forever and there's so much shame around it and whatever. And for recruiters and stuff, like, I had to pretend I was still, what, like, what the fuck am I meant to say? Like. So that was just not working. And then I realized, yeah, it was actually a, a psychologist at the time helped me think it through. Cause I was like, well, I want, yeah, I need something to do and I need a visa yeah. to stay in the country. Well, I knew I wanted to stay in the country. And then I was like, oh, why don't I go and study at um, Cambridge? And then, so I did that. Did you apply to other places or it was just. I was looking um well because I was like oh I've always wanted to do a MBA in the US so I was like okay I'll look at that then I was like oh damn the deadlines are passed and then I was like okay well what are you going to do this year like what's your major pastime going to be that was like the psychologist thing and I was like oh maybe I can study like psychology or theology or <laughs> like I had no idea but I was like that would be so cool to go to Oxford or Cambridge and study something um so and then I was looking at random courses yeah and it's like okay yeah submit like a thesis for like it's like okay I how am I gonna get into a master's of like theology like what the fuck I studied maths now it's like okay apply for maths like no (laughs) like maths at Cambridge quite difficult yeah (laughs) um and so then I found this course, Master of Finance, which was for post experience, which was, yeah, so you had to have worked in finance for at least two years. I was like, oh my God, this is perfect. So I'm not going back to be with like 22 year olds. Like I'll be with people more my age. And more I'm a mature student, as they call them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I didn't have to be a mature student. I was, yeah, found that course. So then I went and did that. 
And how is that? Yeah, that was good. But that's when I became so more broadly interested in the world because I saw, I spent a lot of time at the Cambridge Union, which is like the home of free speech or like the longest debating society, longest continuous debating Mm. society in the world, I think. And they just have amazing speakers for, you know, I think they have like the president of Azerbaijan this week, but they'll have politicians, whoever, and then, you know, like Bill Gates and whatever, people like that. Um, Did you spend much time there when you were at Cambridge? No, not much. (laughs) I I have been there, but I didn't spend a lot of time there. It was also during the pandemic, so there wasn't necessarily that much happening, but that was going on. So yeah, I spent a lot of time there and yeah, I just became interested in like, everything that was going on and how different university was compared to when I was there. And like, I always use this example. I was the women and non-binary officer at my college, but I'm like, what's non-binary? Like we didn't have that word when I was at uni, which makes me sound like ancient, but it's like, (laughs) like whatever, six years before or whatever it was. Um, And yeah, I mean, even for my my college, Magdalen was the last Oxbridge college to accept women, so that was only in the eighties. Um, so yeah, it was like okay, it feels like there's been like this period of a lot of things changing quickly, and which I think is just a neutral thing, like whatever. But the thing for me was like there's like a breakdown in conversation right. or it's like there's different people from all different places in the world and di- or different backgrounds in the UK, different religions, whatever. And there seems to be like a lot of ideology and like where's the space for people to have conversations and like embrace differences and learn from people. And even, yeah, cause there was, Israel-Palestine conflict at the time and I was like aware of um, some of the anti-Semitism that was like directed at people resulting of that which I didn't really like and then um, there was also yeah a lot going on with China and like people talking a lot about China, but my course, there were a lot of Chinese students in my course, maybe like 30% or more. And it was like, why don't we ask our peers what they think? And if they feel like they're oppressed or what, you know, not having a view, but just like literally learn, like why wouldn't we like learn from other people by talking to them? And I was having so many interesting conversations. And yeah, that's where the idea for the podcast came. And you started a podcast then? No, I started one like a few months after leaving when I was back home with a friend who I'd met at Cambridge who was also from Melbourne. So back home in Melbourne. Yeah, back home in Melbourne. Oh yeah, because pandemic. So I hadn't been home for a long time and when I wasn't allowed to go home without being detained by the government 
as per Australia's rules. So when I was allowed in without detention, I went home for three months and then did a podcast there. And this is, you had finished your degree at Cambridge or? Yeah. Okay. And then you went back to Melbourne. Yeah. Started the podcast. Yeah. Then came back to London. Yeah. And I was really. What was the time frame? How long were you back in Melbourne? For three months. I was super lost. So then, yeah, my boy, then I had a lovely boyfriend during um, COVID. And when I finally got over like the bad situation. Yeah. Then I had this lovely boyfriend, but then that we then broke up after Cambridge. And then I was like really lost and like literally as well, like, like sleeping on people's couches or whatever. Well, cause I was just disorganized. Like, what was I doing? I just was not, I was not ready to like be back in the world, I guess. And I was terrified of work. Like I was so, I think I way overcommitted to work was like, that's something, this is going to be my life. Like I love working to 4am to then like reject to work completely. Like I will never belong in a workplace and I'm going to do my own thing and I'm just going to make money on the internet. And people were kind of like, how are we going to do that? And it was like, don't you dare challenge me kind of thing. <laughs> like, but people were just genuinely asking like, where are you going to live? How are you going to pay rent? Like I was just very, and I was still depressed. Yeah. I was going to ask about that. Like, were you, did, did you get better after leaving the job and you're in Cambridge? Like did, you said you recovered a bit, but were you, you were still depressed. You said It was just ups and yeah, it's just, it, it like so cliche that it's a healing journey, but it was just like, there are periods where, I was okay and then but the whole pattern that I've only just recently finally broken with the boyfriend I broke up with last summer is the dependency thing that all goes back to childhood so I couldn't didn't know how to like survive on my own so I always had a relationship and it was like I needed that for survival which is also the depression it was like that's why it was so painful because it was like I can't survive like with all the stuff with work and then yeah so I think I ended up again in that that yeah so during that time at Cambridge and it was like okay I'm okay because well it's like this other person has to be like partly responsible for me Otherwise, like, I won't be okay. And then also it was, like, therapy has, like, I was, like, dependent. It's, like, oh, I'm only okay if I have therapy or something. Yeah. And so were you doing therapy from that time, from that sort of first time? You mentioned CBT. Yeah, I did CBT. Then it was schema therapy, which is more similar to IFS, but, like, a different model. Um, And then... It was, but yeah, I thought I could access resources at Cambridge. That was like really hard. It's like, yeah, obviously with the pandemic stuff changes different. Yeah. Insurance. It's so expensive. Like, cause it was first through private insurance. So then it's like, you're seeing a therapist who's actually billable at like 380 pounds an hour. So then if your insurance, you know, you only have so many sessions and then if you're paying for that out of pocket, that's like so expensive, you know? So it's like, then I'm, yeah, it's just like a journey of different. Do- and then I found 
yeah, psychedelics really helped me and I started taking charge. And then I'm so grateful I had a doctor who empowered me to take charge of my journey of my like healing and that reading and learning and whatever. And when was that? That was, I think, during Cambridge. And then, yeah, different therapists. But I think I was still, um, oh, my God, sorry, this is going for so long. <laughs> People are going to be like, we just don't care that much. <laughs> I'm sure they will. Don't worry about that. Um, yeah, so just ups and yeah, ups and downs. Like, I remember in the winter, in, I was with my boyfriend and got stuck um, in Jersey, which is a beautiful place to be stuck, that island between, in the English Channel, with his family. And I remember that was a point where I had that thought again, like, that I just don't want to be here. Um, so that was, like, a very low point. Uh, and then, yeah, it's honestly been up and down until <laughs> the week. Cause also I had a very, very low point in February this year. Um, really bad, dark thoughts. And now I'm doing way better and I've been feeling way better for, I, well, what month are we in? So that's like three months ago. So hopefully this continues. Like it does feel like I'm way more resilient and I've worked so many things out. Like the main thing being like, I am responsible for myself. Like I can survive. I don't need, like this sounds so stupid about a therapist. Oh, not a therapist, a coach. This woman through whatever this long story destroy this manifesting thing that I do that I have talked about on this podcast actually with Charlotte people feel free to listen to that episode um she after my because this abandonment wound is like this thing's like torn open every or at least like the last three breakups I've had it's like so painful and it feels like it genuinely feels like I'm going to die like it's like I can't breathe like it's like panic like it's yeah it's just this deep wound which goes back to that time as like a four-year-old which now I understand having done all the stuff but um the last one this amazing person who I have to write to her name's Amanda Blair she helped me like she just taught she was like it feels like you're going to die but you are not going to die you do not need that man to survive like you can physically survive without that person but it just didn't feel like I could and now I realize I can (laughs) like I and it's like you don't like humans we need each other to survive this is what's actually really helped in the therapy I'm doing at the moment, which is like oh, amazing, which is the internal family system stuff. Um, it's like, yeah, we need other humans to survive, but if we, but it can kind of be any humans, like we can form relationships quickly. Like, obviously that's like fucking terrible if you lose 
anyone in your life but if you imagine losing everyone but you can adapt like you won't die because of that unless you're so depressed that you end up ending your life but if you can realize like you can survive so if there's like an apocalypse it's like you will adapt you will find people like you do need other people crucially you can't survive on your own and there's that story of wild do you know that the guy who no he tries to live on his own completely in like Canada or somewhere Pacific Northwest and then he realizes like you can't like you actually need other humans Mm -hmm. for survival but yeah it doesn't but as a child you literally need your parents to survive or you will die yes you your parents are that's why you form that super strong attachment and yeah anyway so that was honestly it sounds so basic but that was ground and I realized that in my relationships, yeah, I would feel like I need that, per- like, love. And Hollywood and whatever reinforces that. It's like... This kind and, of code yeah, Not just Hollywood, but, like, all the books. Yeah, yeah, when you read this stuff of even, yeah, going back further. And it's like, no, this person is not mentally okay. That <laughs> They are, like, putting their whole survival on another person. Like, that's not healthy. Like, you don't need... Yeah. I mean... Yeah, I mean, that is, like, a beautiful thing about love, that you can love someone that much, that, and it, yeah, but it's, like, please don't, and, and that is sadly what happens, like, people after divorce and whatever. Anyway, but I realise, like, no, I can be dependent on myself, and I am responsible for myself, and, and then it, yeah. Anyway, so I think now because I'm fully from that place, because I think people can also then become dependent on therapists, and I think I got to that point as well. But it's like, no, actually, obviously, there are things that, that, yeah, it's like you can adapt. Like, obviously, there are things you don't want to lose in your life that would be terrible, but you can adapt. And when you know that, it's like, then you're super resilient. So you came back from Melbourne to London. Yeah. What was the plan then, or did you have one? Seems that like was you me, like quite yelling. Often know exactly what you no, want. No, well, I was like, I'm doing a gap year. I, yeah, my thing was like, oh, Winston Churchill was disappointed with the holes in his education, which clearly you can see the holes in mine, like not knowing the date of the first fleet. Anyway, um, and I was like, he spent this time just reading books, and I'm going to do that. And I was like, I'm going to read a hundred nonfiction books. Just like why, and then I started making me in so many ways. (laughs) Yeah, and then I started making YouTube videos, and I was like, I'm gonna be YouTuber. Like I'd never even watch YouTube myself. Like it was just I don't. Yeah, I don't know. And then I and in my head I was like, I'm gonna be successful at this. But yeah, subconsciously I think it was because I felt like there was no choice. Um, but then I kind of didn't really, I was like, oh, it's just a gap year. So people would get off my back. But I was really, yeah, struggling to fit. Yeah. I was just like putting, piecing my life back together, but I was such low self-esteem when I came back. Like I felt like, okay, if I'm pursuing my dreams then I have to like live with nothing and like be a like struggling artist or something I don't know it was just like and I was really I was in a thing of like um why do I even deserve money 
like homeless people don't have money, like feeling like, oh, is money evil? Um, and so this is the start of 2022, was it? Or Yeah. It's around the this time. This was I like met a you. year ago. I was struggling with right. this stuff. Around the time I met you. Yeah. Well, when did I? Yeah. A few months before. Yeah. And so final ish question, like how did this growing up podcast come out of that period or, or any of the, well, that's what I really wanted to do. I was like, okay, I want to bridge this division that I see that people can't talk to each other. And you have, I, I, and like other people, there's so much to learn from people. Yeah. A few things. There's like, Okay, other that's what's really helped me. That's what I said in the first episode of this podcast is like hearing other people's stories of struggling and them talking completely openly. And the example I always use is Tyson Fury, that heavyweight champion boxer. I read his book in COVID and he's just like from a non from an empowered place, like not a place of like I'm a victim. He talks about his mental health and you know going to end his life one day and like how he you know worked through all of this um I found that stuff so empowering so it was like so many people have stories and like it helps others so much when they share them honestly and vulnerably so that was one part and then it was like yeah bridging like being able to see that we're all just humans and if someone has some view that you don't agree with like maybe if you understand like what their values are or how they grew up yeah that and then yeah just learning as well it's like I want to learn about the world like it's so much more interesting to learn from people than to just and to discuss with people than to just like read books in a silo and not speak to anyone but I was so scared to do it so I wasn't yeah I you told me this I was like I'm so scared of rejection like so scared to contact anyone for the podcast and you like, why don't you try and like make it a game? Like try and get a hundred rejections. Like, like I was just so scared for so long to make it. I knew I needed to make it. And like doing the YouTube and all that was just going around the thing that I actually desperately wanted to do. And yeah, and now I'm doing it. I've started it. Great. We're up to 50 episodes. And... I've also realized how important work is in my life and how much I love being in a workplace. And I do love finance and I love, um, yeah, I don't know how else to explain it other than like, I love that pride I talked about in investment banking. It's like, that is a real thing that I like love having that, um, you know, dressing in a certain way. It just sounds so lame because it's so not cool to be like, love that kind of super corporate life. But I genuinely just love it. And I realized that was so missing, like being around people, being in that environment, having, yeah, doing that kind of work and earning money in that way. Um, that was missing and I was so terrified by it. But then recently I went and spent some time at this hedge fund. I'm, I actually, the um, guy who runs the fund, he, I met him at a suicide prevention breakfast 
which that opportunity came out through. I got to go to that breakfast, like through this someone who reads this newsletter and blah, blah, blah. And I invited him to come on the podcast. He said no, but he gave me that opportunity to go and work, which I'm so grateful for. And that was like the week before. I was so, so bad. Negative thoughts of that I didn't want to live anymore. And then to be back work like it was just the chain like suddenly my brain I don't know I think some things are kind of basic my brain was just like we have it didn't have time to have those thoughts well also the therapy helped me and to do internal family systems and to talk to those parts who are like protector parts who want to help protect me from pain or from you know that's like a whole another conversation how all that works but yeah, so the therapy, but also going in and my brain just being like, okay, we have to get to work. Like we have to get dressed. Like there's no, it's just like, get out of bed, get dressed. You've got to be in the office. Like there's an expectation. And then that structure and yeah. ritual and things like that. Yeah. And then and being, being around, around people, people yeah. and talking to people and smiling and like dressing up, you know, having pride in how I look and like things like that. I'm like, oh my God, this is the missing piece. And then it's like, this is my long answer to your recent question about how do you balance creativity and like living a meaningful life. And I'm like, yeah, I need these, all these ingredients. And like, but I do need to still be doing this podcast and expressing myself and like bringing this into the world and trying to help other people through this way and hopefully provide something to this audience who I want to get way more connected with. So I'm like, so grateful for doing this now so thanks brian um but so now it's like oh my god okay these are the pieces and like how do we fit them all together and now yeah i've got to find the next opportunity that um yeah works with all of this and any reflections on the 50th episode or how how has it been going maybe it's a whole another conversation but yeah, I think that's a whole other conversation. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, it's been... But yeah. No, I don't want to make it a vain thing about like 50 episodes. Like I know people do that, but it's like, yeah, whatever. This is just another episode. And I'm fully committed to bringing really good content to you guys. And I'm feeling... I think the main thing is I'm feeling way more confident now about getting over... Yeah, I don't really have that rejection thing so much anymore and now I just need to be bold and be organized and like contact people who have really cool stories to share like continuing contacting and you're people. still excited about it I can tell yeah I'm yeah. so excited about it that's amazing so. so three more how do you stay grounded I am obsessed with my morning routine which is I wake up meditate for 10 minutes write like put a timer on it and just write for 10 minutes yeah i think you do something similar right yeah just get whatever out of my head talk to my yeah inner child if necessary or whatever part of me is yeah just write um then i now yeah i've added breath doing wim hof breath breath work and oh, wow doing a physical workout, which I've now got that thing. You know how you can get addicted to that? I'm like obsessed with it now. Like it makes me sound like a crazy person, but it's like 
minimal effort. I literally do it like in my room or in my living room, like just straight away, like get out of bed and just start doing like push-ups and squats and burpees, whatever. It sounds super lame, but it's like, it just removes all that resistance from like, I have to exercise or I have to go to the gym. It's like, no, just like I put a timer on and I was only doing 10 minutes. Now I'm doing 20 minutes and I'm like so excited for that part of my day. That's amazing. Yeah, so that's what it would be at the moment. And what books have impacted your life or any any book you want to name in particular? Well, I think it's those two that I already named during that when I first read, um, when I first saw the light, like more than my... So it's like depression, you're like way below your baseline. But I, for me, it was like I saw glimpses that were like way above anything I've ever it was like accessing yeah I guess spirituality or this deeper level of life beyond just that yeah living in New York like working partying having fun but like you're not really conscious that was it's gonna sound like kind of cringe but it was Eckhart Tolle and New Earth like everything I read and I probably need to reread it but it was just like I'd never so not the power of now but a new earth yeah Mm. power of now I never got through I started reading it but when those books are like, read this slowly and like savor it. It's like, okay, I never finished them. Um, but yeah, and you asked, it just, for some reason, it just got me on this level. Like every page I was like, oh my God, like, holy shit. Like this is so true. And like, yeah, I think I should reread that. And then Siddhartha as well. Had a Herman Hesse. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. And what three words describe how you want to show up in the world? Or the best version of um, I would say authentic, compassionate, and yeah, I think now it's changing and I'm going to say like lighthearted or something. That's amazing. Yeah. I like it. I've changed mine, I think, too. What else? <laughs> I can't remember what the last words I gave were. <laughs> um, I know I said intelligent, curious, generous. I think that's what I go for right now, which I think is slightly different from what I've said before. Nice. But that's what it should be, right? Yeah, and it should just change keep evolving, evolving. Thank you. Thank you so much. Amazing. Oh my god. <laughs>